So I feel bad. Why? Well, I've talked a lot I about... Mean you should. I, yeah, for various reasons that we won't get into because they're not pertinent to the show. But suffice it to say, I'm a horrible person. Yes. I've talked a lot about important people in the Star Trek franchise behind the scenes. You know, Ronald D. Moore, Brandon Braga, Michael Piller, Rick Berman, DC Fontana, Roddenberry, all these people, right? And I don't think that I've ever mentioned Jerry Taylor, or at least not to the degree that I've talked up some of the other people that I've mentioned. And I realized that while watching the drumhead, because of course Jerry Taylor wrote the drumhead, and she is important to the franchise because she wrote many episodes of the of the Next Generation and co-created Star Star Trek Voyager. Okay. So she's responsible for Tuvok. I, I don't know if she specifically is responsible for Tuvok, but she she very well could be. Let, let's just put it at that. Wow. Uh, or at least she's responsible for the idea of Tuvok. Because <laughs> Tuvok was, of course, the product of Vulcan mating, or Ponfar as we call it. Anyway, that was probably the geekiest thing I've ever said. So uh, the drumhead is something that happened, and... It is something that it made me realize that Jerry Taylor is a lot more important to the franchise than perhaps we let on because all the episodes she's written so far are extremely good and the drumhead is no exception. Oh, my God. I I am giving this episode 10 triples. I'm just going to let you know that because like we have to go to the old system just because I liked it that much. Uh huh. Sure. Okay. Um, Both of these episodes were wonderful. Um, (laughs) I really enjoyed this week. Um. I liked this episode a lot because it's one of those it's one of those times when the show does a completely non sci fi episode in a way like brothers in a way uh th- the sci fi content in this episode is almost completely incidental. This could be just done modern day it could be an a few good men type of you know story um it's very well written it's a very interesting episode you have Satsati is one of the most I, I mean the scenes where towards the end when Picard is talking to her he's terrified of her you can see and that's a very effective villain because I, 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 she I mean I, this is all I don't know I have so much to talk about this episode I don't know where to start with it well it's funny you say that Picard is 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 frightened of her because I didn't get that impression at all and what I what I appreciated about the episode is that Picard is sort of just quietly tired of her and knows that I think I think well, Picard knows that he's in trouble, but he also realizes that people like this will will burn out on their own. Yeah, uh, you know, but I think he's also realizing the damage that she's done, realizing that she could do a lot more damage. I don't think he's frightened of her to the effect where he'll he's not going to do anything. Obviously, you know, he's Picard, you know. But I think he does recognize that she does have some power, and she has used that power before, and she could ruin the Enterprise. She is in the middle of ruining the Enterprise. 
I don't know that I buy that. You th- seem to think she's much more of a paper tiger than I. I do. Yeah, Frank. Well, I mean, because the the ending of the episode, and now of course the the episode has to end. You know, the next generation is not a show that really has you know overarching plot lines, except for the fact that they sort of mention things from time to time, as we've talked about in the past. And of course, they mention things in this, this episode, episode that have, you know his experiences with the Borg and uh, 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 Worf's discommendation comes up very yeah. briefly. So you know, certainly there's some continuity in this episode, and it works very well, but. At the end of the day, all Picard had to do was sort of, you know, mention her father and she goes ballistic and the guy leaves the room and, you know, makes a phone call and she's gone. Yeah. So she is a paper tiger. And I think Picard realizes that she's probably a little unhinged. And I frankly don't think that she would ever have gotten far enough to really injure the the Enterprise because she obviously has some uh, d- mental issues. Well, I mean, there's a reason that she's retired in some ways. Like, you get the sense that she was, you know, she's going back into... I mean, the, the theme of this episode, though, is that you... I, I mean, it it is an episode where everybody's suspicions and the little things that people do wrong and, you know, people's errors and things all compound each other to create this paranoid environment where everybody i mean this is a witch hunt they don't use the word in this episode but that's what's there and the the drum head is the witch yeah hunt. exactly she i mean he makes it clear that if it's not if, if not her then somebody else is always going to do this in some kind of environment you know whenever there is an environment where somebody like that can flourish somebody will and so maybe it's not that he's afraid of ambassador Satie, admiral Satie. But he's afraid of this attitude because this is a very dangerous attitude for him. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think I think, yeah, I think he 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 may see this particular incident as easy enough to overturn into his favor, which he does. But he does recognize that change one variable a different way and this is going to be Salem, you know? Well, that's that's really what I was. I mean, and I, I would say that, you know, Picard realizes that, you know, in the episode is, I think, very smart to sort of have it ramp up very slowly and, yeah. and to even have Worf as as sort of our you know primary character person who is is kind of going along with this and is sort of buying into it right I mean yeah. you know that that's very alarming and I think that's supposed to show how this sort of thing spreads uh, so so I that's why I don't really agree with you that Admiral Satie is the problem I think again like you yeah. said it's really this person who She's a symbol. Who, who, who is a symbol of, of creating this kind of atmosphere of mistrust and all this kind of thing. And the fact of the matter is, Picard at the end of the episode even says as much, but he also says that he realizes that sort of like, you know, we have to watch out for people like this because they do. It, it's it's, it's kind of a. It, I mean, he specifically well, says it's people who create an atmosphere of fear in the, in the cause of righteousness because yeah. she does for the entire. Here's the thing. I mean, in some ways, she's not a completely out-of-left-field evil character. She is, in her own way, justified in having these suspicions. We have to remember that, even though the episode doesn't mention it. A couple years ago, there was a huge conspiracy hitting some high-ranking members of Starfleet, many of whom would have been her friends. Which is mentioned in this episode. Is that? Yeah, at the very beginning. The worm one? Yeah. I didn't didn't catch that part, actually. Yeah. But, they, they didn't specifically mention the worm, okay. but they mentioned the conspiracy. Okay. Either way, I mean, we, we this this is the kind of atmosphere in which the Federation does live. She is probably seen 
a ton of attempted coups on the Federation. I mean, she the, does... the, 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 the implication in the episode is that she is the person who got to the bottom of the conspiracy. Yeah. So I don't know how you missed that. But, but yeah. Easily. Apparently. Um, anyway, the point is I don't necessarily think she – again, she's not wrong for – that's her job. Her job is she is sent there. To root out any last thing of a conspiracy. She she sees what she wants to see, certainly. She's looking for something and that's not there, and she's going to find evidence which suggests to it, certainly. And, I mean, when you do look at Picard's record, you know, we know why he broke the Prime Directive those nine times. We know how he's dealt with the boar. We know what the story with that, you know, fake Vulcan ambassador was. But on paper, they all look do look very bad, don't they? Yeah, they do. And I also think, you know, the the thing about the episode, I mean, you keep mentioning the the Salem Witch Trials, and, and certainly that is a good example of this. But I also think this harkens back to, to McCarthy, oh, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. and all those kinds of things, right? And so, you know, the danger of this kind of person, again, is not that the person itself is so much of... Because the the, 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 the figurehead of this kind of mistrust and, 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 and witch hunts and, and drumheads, as they call it in this episode, is not really the problem. Because those people no. are always paper tigers. They don't have anything to back it up. That's why they do this because they're mistrustful and they have sort of like conspiracy in their head. That's what McCarthy did. Now, certainly you have to have a person who is very number one, articulate is very smart, charismatic, but is is also extremely distrustful and is extremely sort of paranoid. And I think that that's what you see in this episode. And so, and this, I think fascism always goes around a, cult of personality in a way well that's the thing is like you know picard is not afraid of admiral city picard is afraid of the federation or starfleet uh uh succumbing to this sort of yeah. thing and and of course it's not going to because the next generation is an optimistic future where everyone sort of is is at their peak and yeah you know, this sort of undercuts it a little bit, but I think what what you see is that there are safeguards built in place. This is a society, this is a culture, and this is a an organization, the Federation and Starfleet both, that will not succumb to this sort of thing easily. And I think Picard, I don't know that Picard realizes that necessarily, but I think that he's grateful that he is lives in that kind of society. Well, he's the... I mean, he's this could have gotten end, very bad for him. I, at the very end, he's saying to Worf, you know, we need to be vigilant against this. And I, I think Picard's way of he, – he sees, sees – he, Picard is going very much in, you know, kind of Kantian categorical imperative on this. He – Gesundheit. Know, thank you. Um, you know, that philosophy says that, you know, it's expressed in the phrase, you know, the maximum of your action should be a universal law. In other words, whatever Picard is doing at any given moment, if any starship captain were to do it, it would be okay. And he very deliberately, you know, when, when Kirk breaks the prime directive or when Kirk, you know, goes to a planet and decides he's going to blow up the computer, that's because he's decided, you know, willy-nilly, oh, this is okay in this situation. Picard goes a little Picard doesn't necessarily think that the book is right in every single case but he does think that it's right in most cases he thinks that a consistent set of standards are good in most cases and he knows that not only does he have to live up to those but when he is breaking that standard he has to do it for the right reason i mean that that's i think the situ the scene where you know admiral uh, admiral satia is saying you know oh you you 
you know, you're not going to listen to my Betazoid, but you've listened to your Betazoid. If she, if Troy said, you know, not to trust somebody, you would go with that. And he says, you know, yeah, I've done that. And I need to rethink about that in the future because that's pointing out to him. This is not something that may work in every single situation. He can implicitly trust Troy, but that's not good enough for everybody. Yeah, no, true. And I also think that you going along with that, since you mentioned Kirk, I mean, of course, this is a this is a federation. This is a this is a, a quadrant that is is much more settled. Yes. You know, they they have a lot more backup. And so Kirk is out there doing things that he's doing because that's one ship in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere. Whereas, you know, this ship is a symbol of something, number one, because it's the flagship of, yeah. of Starfleet. That that's that's a and then B, of course, is that this is a much more settled galaxy than it was 80 years ago. And so Picard has a lot more backup. Picard, you know, is, is three days away from a star base, you know, whereas Kirk may have been, you know, months away from a star base and, and they didn't have, you know, real time communication at all times and all these kind of things. I mean, so, politically it's a completely different, if Kirk were in this situation, number one, there wouldn't be a Klingon exchange officer on the ship, but they're going to extradite him to Klingon where he is going to be, you know, given the proper justice like that that changes the situation very much as well you know i mean picard says several times you know yes he's admitted he's a traitor you know he's admitted he gave info to the romulans he's going to be taken to task for, he's going to be punished for that like this is done this is well and that's funny because you know i think that's really the start of it because you know we as the audience who who have lived with these characters for three and a half years almost four years at this point uh, we're getting to the end of the fourth season already, which is amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, hard to believe, frankly, um, that we know that that's the end of it, right? Like this Klingon uh, is someone who did something. He's a traitor. You know, he, he was selling information to the Romulans. They got to the bottom of it. That's it, right? And that's it. That's the end of it. They did their jobs. They missed it. But we all know that they're very professional. They're very capable. Whereas Admiral Satie is is a conspiracy person and is someone who's very paranoid. And so she doesn't think that's the end of it. And that's really where the the, the, sort of the nut of this starts, right? And she she thinks there must be something more to this. You know, maybe Worf is conspiring or maybe this guy, um, what's his name? Simon Tarsus is conspiring, which is bizarre, right? Yeah. And that's really where I think the episode starts to turn because, you know, Simon Tarsus doesn't seem like the kind of person who would uh, help a Klingon trader sell information to the Romulans at all. No. And of course, as it turns out, he's well, he's he is he is a quarter Romulan or whatever, right? Well, and so that's you know that that's more fuel for the fire. But I also think that that's where people start to realize that perhaps Admiral Sati is a little is a little well, nuts. I don't think necessarily because I mean, there's a scene when he's talking to Worf at, there. Right after that gets revealed that, you know, there's, you know, my counselor advised me not to, you know, I'm going to incriminate myself. You know, Picard, Picard walks in on Worf talking to his security team and he's saying, oh, we've got to interview these people and do this kind of a scan on him, you know, and do that stuff. And he's talking to Worf and Worf says something like, you know, if he was truly innocent, he wouldn't have lied on the stand. And, you know, which is an attitude that Picard immediately shoots down, you know, but at the same time, that is a very prevalent attitude Which, that is the reason you know that anytime you know you're under you do not talk to a cop without a lawyer you know that is the reason you do not represent yourself on the state you know because the the way one of the things of this issue is of this episode does make it clear that legal 
the law can be on this against the innocent. Which which is interesting on Worf's part, of course, because he knows for a fact because he did this that you know back back in sins of the father, yeah, he took the heat for something that he didn't do and that he knows his father didn't yeah. do, and so. I find that really interesting. And, and Worf is a character that I think um, doesn't get a lot of credit for being uh, complex because this I think is... he is, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with Worf in this episode. Oh All God. of it is very understated. I mean, you know, he's got, I thought this was going to be a Worf episode at first. Like I this yeah. was going to be a Klingon episode. And it's interesting because, because at the beginning they're saying, well, our, our security officer is Klingon and, you know, you're not, you know, and, you know, your honor, and, you know, they're fighting, and he's saying, I'm going to give you to the Klingon homeworld, you know, they're going to give you a traitor's death, you know, and all of that. And that, I think, gives him a through line in this episode. I mean, especially that scene when, you know, the Herbetazoid, uh, the, what's his name? I don't know. Anyway, the Betazoid uh, counselor that works for Satya's talking to him and saying, you know, we thought, you know, because of his circumstances, we were suspicious. But no, you know, that's that's not the case. We you, you're doing well. You know, you're you, we trust you on this. You're you know, you're going to. I mean, I think Worf, because of all of this, because of the Klingon implications, because of the trust that's been placed in him. Um, I mean, when Satya says, you know, oh, I want you heading this interrogation, you know, he's been giving a lot of responsibility. And he's charged to doing it very well. So if he's told to find a traitor, he's not going to question, you know, oh, is there a traitor or not? He's going to do everything in his damn power to find that traitor. And I I think that's interesting because they give him a lot of positive reinforcement that gets him into this kind of fanatic way that he's beginning to think exactly like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, Worf is an interesting character, and he's an interesting character in this episode because, of course, you know, the the the, the fact of the matter is, you know, he is separated from, from Klingon culture and, and the Klingon yeah. Empire because of the actions of someone who he doesn't respect, who, you know, tra- you know was a traitor yeah. to, to the Romulans. And so he has that sort of built-in prejudice, which isn't really... I like it because it's very subtly used. It's yeah. it's not on the nose in this episode at all. And I think if you had not seen Sins of the Father, you you would perhaps not even have that. It just adds a little bit of shading to what he's doing in this episode. He's getting a traitor punished in, in a way which kind of – he wants to find traitors to the Klingon Empire because that will help him in a way – slowly redeem himself for what's ha- you know what I mean but like I that also, kind of thing. but I also think like it's self reinforcing yeah. because once the of once the fact comes out that 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 crewman Tarsus is is part Romulan you know they don't really do much with that information on one hand but I think it 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 feeds into Worf's paranoia about what exactly is going on right because it's it's again you know he himself is a victim of this sort of prejudice of bloodline yeah. And he is also being prejudiced against someone because of what they are. Yeah. And it doesn't have anything to do with Simon Tarsus's beliefs or Simon Tarsus's, yeah. you know, whatever, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is he's just some random medical cr- cr- crewman who yeah. nobody knew before and will never see again probably. Uh, but Worf suddenly thinks that it's he's implied- like the, the linchpin of this huge Romulan conspiracy yeah. on the Enterprise. It's implied that he's going to either be kicked out or receive some very severe punishments for lying on the application, which is – you know, I mean, any federal application you fill out today has, you know, you get in trouble for lying on it. So sure, which but, which but is th- kind of interesting because you know it. And I don't, you know, I don't want to go too far down this road, but it does 
kind of make the Federation and Starfleet out to be a little less forgiving or a little less optimistic than they otherwise have been because why did he lie on his application? Yeah. You know, like, yes, I mean, the, I, the, the, I, at the time that he joined Starfleet, we, we probably hadn't seen, because remember, they had not had contact with the Romulans for for decades before the neutral zone at the end of the first season. So but also, assumedly yeah. he, he, you know, entered, he didn't enter Starfleet Academy because he's not a, an officer, but, you know, he joined Starfleet before that. You know, so it's kind you of like... You get the sense that it's this weird, almost family secret in a way. Like you, yeah. I would very assume that, you know, it's not talked about. Like his parents never talk about his grandfather, you know, and... I'm sure there's an was, interesting story he's there. Been, he was told as a child, no, I tell everybody you're part Vulcan because, you know, yes, nowadays maybe it's more optimistic, but, you know, give him 20 years ago when he's a little kid, you know... Even if things are getting better, then his parents still have that memory of being, you know, maybe. Oh yeah, because yeah. I, mean, th- I mean, think think back to to Kirk's atti- attitude in Star Trek Six about the Klingons. You know, let yeah. them die. I mean, yeah. you know, you can kind of see that at that time it was not exactly. It's the kind of thing where maybe if he did apply to the Federation and saying, you know, I'm part Vulcan, you know, sorry, I'm part Romulan, you know, nobody would have batted an eye, but he still felt that shame, and he still did apply under false pretenses in a way and so and and at the end of the day that really is sort of one one of the messages of the episode which is that this sort of witch hunt harms innocent people who who may have lied for reasons that have nothing to do with with what exactly they're investigating and that's uh, the other thing you know maybe nobody's nobody's life can stand up to this kind of scrutiny yeah maybe if you know he had gotten caught from this because someone was just checking the files or something you know the penalty would be extremely minor, you know, but, you know, given the context in which this is, it gets, it does get blown up to be, you, that's what happens in this episode. Tiny things, tiny coincidences get blown up to be the, the, these impossibly large things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that, uh, it's interesting that, the end of the episode ramps up so quickly because it really does seem to be a very slow moving episode for a long time. And then suddenly Picard's on the stand and she's like, Hey, how about that Borg thing? Oh my God. How'd that, that go? That, like that's that, just, you know, that's hitting Picard below the oh. belt. And that is probably, I think the audiences, cause you know, the, the, the Romulan Vulcan ambassador stuff is, uh, I mean that know, was that was in a way the B plot of day to day, right? Like Data's day, yeah. Like uh so I think that that is kind of like, all right, well, whatever. But once she mentions the Borg and Locutus, it's kind of like, Whoa, what are you doing? And we're you know, suddenly we realize that she really is gunning for Picard. Yeah. And it's used brilliantly. Yeah. And it's also a good opportunity for for Patrick Stewart to to give a really dorky and earnest speech. Uh, which is something that I always enjoy about Star Trek. <laughs> you know, and here's my question was, you know, and I I, I, I I actually watched this episode twice. I really liked this episode, but I still can't quite tell whether he intended quoting the father as a tactic or if he earnestly wanted to give one of his Picard speeches. It turns out to have been a brilliant tactic. You know, it is the exact in a way it's the exact wrong thing to say to get her on his good side. I I get the sense he intended to say it to you know to be his usual let's all be friends speech that well, backfired in the in the best way possible 
Or did he know that it would backfire? I can't quite tell. I don't think that he knew it would backfire in exactly that way. Well, yeah. it didn't backfire because it, it no, no. It backfired it, again, it for backfired Satie. splendidly. It backfired for Satie. It didn't backfire for yeah. Picard. But Picard, I think, is a man of Picard is obviously a man of integrity. And I think he was just using her father's words to I think his intention was yeah. to remind her of the purpose of this sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think he knew that she would react like that. She would like turn that. into an Ace Attorney character. Right. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> like, yeah, but I, you sp- get... Sputtering and wide-eyed and all that I kind of stuff. I think she but... was... Again, this could have gone in one of three ways. That was the one. I think he wanted her to say, oh my God, I've become everything my father would you know, make me hate. Adjourn. I think he was hoping for that, yeah. But for a second there, it looked like she could... If she had kept her control... And said thee, how dare you use my father's words against you, you traitor, and kept her calm. That could have ended the worst possible way for him. Yeah, it could have, certainly. But again, given that this episode makes it clear that these people are eventually turn out to be paper tigers. You do eventually defeat them, but or they defeat themselves. They burn out. They run out of steam, but they do a lot of damage. They hurt a lot of people on the way there. Again, they've... The scandal surrounding Tarsus's career is going to follow him, whether whatever his punishment is. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's really the shame of the episode at the end of the day. You yeah, know? and then of course, you know, you get that final scene with with Picard and Worf, yeah. and it's kind of just kind, of, you know, Picard. I think is is is, you know, he could be needling Worf, but he's not, and I think Worf realizes exactly what happened. And but, you know, it's it's funny because you can really see that 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 Worf is the kind of of person that you know could be influenced by this kind of thing yeah and you, we it makes me wonder about because war his... is paranoid a bit i mean yeah. again anytime somebody is on the bridge that's not supposed to be Worf is the first one who's saying you know why are you here you know right and i mean it's his job to be paranoid that's what he's there to do he's very good at it he is good at if tarsus were a traitor Worf would have found it out no matter how well he covered his tracks you right. know he does track uh the Klingons contact very far and it's implied very elaborately and very efficiently and diligently. He's good at his job, but at the same time, again, this, this episode makes it clear that it could be used for when you have somebody who's doing their job well and morally, that's good. But when you have it just done for the, for, for as a witch hunt, just done for its own sake, in the cause of righteousness rather than actual righteousness, that's that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I'll give it a nine. No, this is a ten triple episode. Ju- just because the only criticism I have of the episode is is it does end a little too pat for me. That's fair. But it, ha- I mean, you know, it yeah, it, it, it has to. End. Let me, let me put it this way: I would have watched the hour and a half movie version of this or the two part episode of this. Yeah, I think this would have been a good candidate to be a two part episode. Yeah, but. It wasn't. So I think it just just almost perfect. Oh, that's fair. Now let's talk about Half a Life. So I guess the thing about Half a Life really is that Loaxana Troy is in it, and uh, she's not horrible. I was surprised how much I liked this episode. It's This is an episode that takes Loaxana Troy kind of seriously. It's Yeah, it's a little weird because um, I, I kind of feel like Loaxana Troy is a slightly different character each time she's appeared so yeah. far and uh you know she was she started out as being the 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 Shurush mother character in haven went to being like an extreme old woman horn dog in manhunt then in menage a trois they sort of 
menage a Troy, I guess is yeah. what it really is. She was the busybody mother-in-law. Again, you know, so that was a little different. And now she's whatever she is here. You know, here's the thing. They make her the horny old lady, but in a very realistic way, instead of being a cartoon, she comes off as... You know, somebody who had her career, had her family, you know, and is at the point where she doesn't have that many responsibilities. But anywhere she goes, you know, she has enough rank and experience that she can go wherever she wants and do whatever she wants. And at this point, she's just having fun with her life. You know, she's a bon vivant in a way. Yeah. And I think and I like this version of her. I do, too. And I think that, you know, whoever wrote this episode realized that. You can take her seriously as a person yeah. and and still have her be her Loaxana Troyishness. Well, that's the thing. And I mean, like, they have her, she latches on to the scientist, you know, oh, first single man that she sees, you know, she, you know, just immediately runs to her. But the fact that he finds her charming, and I think he says she's very vibrant as well, and that the fact that they do, you know... They're cute together. They're you know? cute together. They get along. She's it, she's very respectful of him. But yeah, it's the kind of thing where they're two. You know, they they have a relationship that's of two people who are older, and you know, they're not looking for the love of their life anymore because that already happened. But they enjoy each other's company very much, and that's nice. I mean, I, I thought it was. I don't know. That worked for me. Well, yeah, and it's it's something you don't see a lot in television, which is, yeah. is, is older people and their sexuality and their mm-hmm. relationships getting treated with the same respect that, you know, younger people do. And I, I like that. Which is that. funny because, you know, Golden Girls had been – was probably off the air around this time. Yeah, I think I think Golden Girls was on until 1992. Yeah, so it, it was, just it was gone wrapping off. up at that point. But still, like, you know, that, that was in the world. It's interesting. Yeah, certainly. Anyway. I mean, you know, but anyway, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I like that it's it's an episode which goes a little, it goes in a completely different direction yeah. than I think it's going to go. Because, of course, the ostensible plot of the episode is the scientist coming and, and, and sort of trying to find a way to, you know, restart their son. And that's all done and over in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and that's not really what the episode is about at all. It's 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 about Dr. Kevorkian. Uh, which well, yeah i mean it, it's it's interesting because you have the you know I, I immediately when i when they started talking about the resolution i'm like oh god this is you know evil dystopic logan's run episode you know great but they took that seriously too i mean they made the society is not the planet is not this evil horrible murder society you know that's trying to like they have their reasons for why this is a social policy. They have – we see the daughter who believes that this is the right way to go and she explains herself without seeming like an evil raving lunatic, you know. And, you know, the fact that Even they, though she kind of looks like one. Well, I mean that's, you know, hair – I grew up in the punk scene, so her hair actually looked kind of tame to me. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought that was an interesting touch to it too. It's, it's a kind of – it takes – an, a difficult issue and some difficult characters and gives them their due in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that the episode is very, very subtle and very respectful mm, yes. and, and very mature in a way that the best Star Trek is. Yeah. And, you know, I shudder at the thought of them doing this episode in the first season, for example, because oh it yeah. would have been horrible. Um, but what what I what I like about it is that you know Timison sort of has his reasons for it, and you know it's never really clear 
if he's uncomfortable with it or not. And I think that Loaxana Troy's little speech about how Betazoid women used to have to have these elaborate hairdos yeah. for animals in them, which is just really weird. Um, <laughs> I love that image, though. You know, and, and I mean, I, I one of the reasons I do like Loaxana episodes is because I love her. Whoever designs her outfits like has a fun time with that, and I really wanted her to say, you know, that woman was me. Here's a picture, and I. <laughs> Well, that's but, I, is that know, the implication? I, I mean, either way, you know, it's it, it's a it's a very colorful story, you know. But but you know, and obviously, Loaxana Troy is on the one hand, you know, she she could be seen as a meddler, but instead, they they paint her as someone who's just concerned about this man. She's just mad yeah. that she really likes, and Troy even says as much. Where not you know, uh, Counselor Troy, yeah. not Loaxana Troy, uh, where I hate talking about. I was wondering, like, on the way here, I'm like, all right, so we got Troy and Loaxana. Is that how we're doing this? It... Uh, so I like the fact that, that Counselor Troy is, is, is kind of acting as the counselor. Yeah. Her, and she says, you know, well, you were just telling him the truth. You know, you were just telling him what you f- believed and felt. And, and that's important. And I mean, that's the thing. All of the characters that we probably have met in this entire series think the idea would think that the idea of the resolution is a foolish one. I mean, hell, Captain Picard is much older than 60, and he is so in his prime right now. I mean, the Federation in general has, you know... Captain Picard's not older than 60. Isn't he? No. Aren't we talking in-universe? I thought people were living, like, much older. Yeah, but he's, like, in his 50s. Well, either way, he would be close to his deadline, and he's nowhere near ready to stop, you know what I mean? So... Uh, you know, we have plenty of examples of admirals who are older than that. We have plenty of examples of people in the series who are still in their prime. And yeah, most people would hear this idea and say that's that's horrifying. You know, why would you take a man who was at the peak of his career and could maybe in a couple of years solve this problem? You know, but then you know the 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 point of you know it's the alternative was that we had people dying in nursing homes and dying of cancer and dying of old age. And that was horrible. And this is the way we did it with dignity. And yeah. And I kind of feel like, you know, it, 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 again, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's an outsized, you know, exaggeration of the right to die movement in the way that sci-fi can do. Yeah. Uh, Because of course I don't think that anyone is really arguing that we should have a maximum age for death. No, but, but at the same time, I think that, you know, it's, it's, and it's I mean, a very subtle portrayal of it. It's a very interesting portrayal of it. I think it's given a lot of respect, and you don't really believe that anybody is acting from from bad no. intentions. And uh, you even have, but, yeah. but at the same time, I like the fact that you know, it, in the best Star Trek tradition, you know, Captain Picard and all of the officers on the Enterprise are very believing in the Prime Directive and very respectful yeah. of it, and, and 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 say this is not our place to interfere. And Lowax on Troy says no. I you know yeah. But at the same time, the implication is that you know, with the, with the talking with Timison and the and the, and the uh, first minister or whatever, uh, that they only have you know a few short decades left, and here is a man who has come further than anyone else has come on this planet to solving the problem of their son, and, and their entire species is going to die yeah. out uh, if, if this is not solved. And so, maybe they should. Right. I mean, like, 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 and that's kind of the thing where it's like, you don't want to interfere because, you know, if they're short sighted enough to not let this man be one of the only people on the planet to not have the resolution. Yeah. And it turns out that they can't figure this out in time and, and their son goes Nova and their planet is destroyed and they all die. Well, 
you know, maybe sometimes, you know, the, 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 the kind of like the, the, the unintended consequences of the prime directive and of interfering would be really bad. And I think in this case they would be good, but maybe it is time for the society to go away. Yeah. You know, that's kind of like the, the hard, well, they, I mean, this, this is an episode about deadlines in a way. I mean, they, they, I think that scene with, you know, when, when the daughter says that, you know, towards the end of her scene, like, where are you going to die? When is that going to happen? And she's finds that almost, oh, she, you know, she finds that idea almost, you know, abominable to her. Like, you know, she, to right. a good death in this society is your you get a hell of a party. You're surrounded by your friends and loved ones, you know, that the end of the scene in Soylent Green, you know, they play nice music, show you beautiful pictures and you go off to sleep. And that, you know, is going to be the end of his life. And they probably see that in a very beautiful and natural and peaceful way. And that's no better way to die. Even if he dies on the Enterprise with, you know, everybody knowing where exactly he is rather than anonymous, that's that's not – I don't know that that sense of the unknown seems horrifying to her. It seems, you know, it seems a desecration of what he was. You know, it seems a desec- it seems to hurt the sanctity of life to them. And it and it makes sense because yeah. again, this is a this is a society and a species which is said to be isolationist and is said to be almost xenophobic and so they would be very very interested in knowing exactly what's happening and where yeah. everybody is at all times. And, you know, it's a very well thought out society, I think, as as, as far as these sort yeah. of things go for Star Trek. And, yeah, you know, kind of, I mean, it's the kind of thing where people do have a death at some point, but you don't know. They know exactly probably when. And for the, you know, every everybody dies with time unfinished. I mean, that everybody dies with unfinished business and. He's, you know, their their perspective of it is so it goes in a way. Like, yeah, well, whether you died at sixty five with unfinished business or at sixty at your appointed time, it's still really the same thing. Yeah. Now, now, I mean, I should say that I, I don't agree with no, them. No, but I, I don't either. But you know, the, the the episode doesn't make that seem a ridiculous idea. And I mean, by the fact that at the end they do decide to go with this it says you know if the you know that this is this culture's belief and it has its reasons and it's not people don't feel oppressed by it it's not done harshly it's done not done maliciously well and i also think that you know the interesting thing about it is that the the script is smart enough to to Mm -hmm. uh know all of the objections to this and sort of mention them and head them off because of course one of the objections is well why don't you just let people decide when they want to die and you know they say well that would be horrible because you would have family members and the person having to decide and it would cause all this emotional trauma and grief and these kind of things which you know again you know putting a a dnr on a loved one you know is it is an extremely difficult thing for most families to do you know those kind of things but i also think that there's a there's an argument to be made that you know the way that the, the this planet does things is very sanitized and isn't right. You know, I mean, because yes, of yeah. course, it's terrible, and they're all upset that their their loved ones are, are dying. But you know, they're they're not given a choice, and so at the end of the day, this is going to happen. They know it's going to happen. They're able to emotionally and mentally prepare for yeah. it their whole lives. You know, every. I mean, what would it even what would it even mean? What would it look? I mean, what, what would it feel like to know that every single person that you know mm-hmm. is going to die at sixty? Like if they don't die in a bus accident, yeah, yeah, or whatever, of course. This you know? is you know. 
Uh, I mean, my my parents are nearing sixty. That my parents are over sixty. Well, they would yeah. be dead. Yeah, I know. Why why didn't they have their resolution, Richard? Well, because they're not very resolute people. And and so you know, I think that that's kind of the the thing where you know no one really no one really makes the argument, and I think that's why you know like we were talking about before the drumhead and, and this episode yeah. are so good is because they allow for spaces for 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 us to sort of make these arguments in our head, but it's kind of yeah. like, well, why, you know, why not have them do that? Like, you know, you can't sanitize death to such a degree. It is, it is a terrible thing. And, you know, if somebody is able to contribute to society past the age where they decide arbitrarily, it seems yeah. that they should die, then, then why not let them? I mean, you may, there may be even, I almost even got an implication that, you know, maybe the average age was 60, 65. And then, you know, at, at the time of the revolution, usually around eight, after age 60, people would start to get sick, you know, and then, you know, now it's hundreds of years later and 60 is still the prime of life to them. You know, maybe it's not till 80, but they just haven't reviewed that, you know, which well, seems weird because we keep bumping up the Social Security age. So you think that they would bump up the. Yeah, 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 age, I know. But... Well, they don't they haven't heard of voting blocks on this planet. Apparently not. <laughs> well, and I guess, you know, it's funny because I guess my question for you is, you know, do you think that the Federation has right to die? See, it's interesting because, I mean, Starfleet doesn't, but we've, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I like, I, th- I think if the medical technology is so, you know, we, we've seen people try to resurrect other people before on this show um, well that's a separate issue yeah though. yeah I mean, there like, is they, but they, i mean they, it's, they it's, don't they don't say they want to die okay somebody on the, so somebody is getting a very serious disease and they're going to die at some point and he's you know somebody goes to dr crusher and says you know i have vulcan disease you know i'm going to die you know give me a shot of something vulcans are not a disease richard they're a species that's very very racist of you no no no, no. it's a disease that affects vulcans ah Okay. Yeah, like human. Like immune. human like human disease. Yeah. Okay. Um sure, I'll go with that. The I have VIV and I'm going to die. So, um uh, would Crusher give them, you know, a lethal shot of morphine? No. I don't think that that would be the case. But at the same point that would be more I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, I I mean, I, you know, I it's, think this is a tough question. I think they probably do. You know, and I think that if, if, if someone wants to die, I think they probably would, would say, okay, well, that's your right. You know, you do whatever you want to do. I don't think that Dr. Crusher would help, and I don't yeah. think that medical establishment would help necessarily, but I, I don't think that there's any way for them to really say no, and I don't think, and I think that but that that's would a probably be respected. I mean, that's a different situation than right to die in a way like you're basically saying, you know, yeah, the but, government can't stop you from committing, from shooting your head off. You but know is it, mean? like, it, but is it really though? Because I mean, if you live in a society where you can go over to the replicator and say, please replicate me a lethal dose of morphine in a, in a, in a hypo spray. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not talking about people having to guess at how many pills to take. Yeah. 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 So I, I I think that there's a there's a sort of a, a an understated lesson there I think. Huh. I'm just saying. Oh. So basically, if you're a morphine addict, you just get a replicator and you're fine. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. I think so. Interesting. But I also think that you know at the at the end of the episode when Loaxana Troy d- decides to go, yeah. you know that that is a a. a 
it, I think it's a real character moment oh, yeah. for her, and it's it very much makes her to be again a real person. And I think, you know, frankly, it's astonishing to me that I'm talking about liking La Waxana. No, Troy, but... I I agree with you. I think she's like I said. I like this version of her very much. This is a woman who is older, but who still has her dignity. You know, I mean, I think that scene when she's i love that scene when she's talking to troy and she's saying that you know just to pick an age you know and and you know troy says you know you're not the type who's gonna die before you die right that's never going to happen to you right um i mean because in a way the society doesn't want people to die before they die you know he I mean, Tarsus says, you know, I want my kids to remember me as young, as strong and healthy and, you know, at, you know, the peak of my power, you know, he doesn't want the possibility of 10 years he's going to be, you need a replacement hip and have Alzheimer's. Yeah. And frankly, maybe their medical technology just isn't that good. That could be, yeah. I mean, we have. They could have something genetic, which, you know, maybe when a Tarsen dies, you know, it. You know, they do go into very heavy dementia starting around age 65. That could just be a thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it is his choice to honor that. Yeah. And and I think it's nice that the episode allows him to do that. It doesn't take the easy way out. I mean, it makes it clear that he has a lot of – he's weighed this issue very carefully and he doesn't – he recognizes what he's giving up. He recognizes that – there are other there are other planets that do don't do this and are perfectly fine and that this could have been a, a decision he could have made but ultimately honoring where he comes from and honoring his family is something that and honoring his home yeah he can't go against that and I think Loxana you know Loxana goes with him because you know she does love him and she does want to give him that in a way she wants to he need in a way she's giving her approval that he has that kind of agency to him you know by Saying, you know, look, you know, I don't want to be the thing you regret when you die. You know, I'm you have my blessing in a way. Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of strange, right? Because I think at the end of the day, his decision to go along with it is both optimistic and pessimistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's optimistic in the sense that he just says, okay, well, I may still have a lot to offer, but I have to accept that 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 this is what needs to happen and this is what we believe in. And. I will have faith that the scientists that come after me will figure this out in enough time to to fix our son. But it's also pessimistic because it makes me think that, you know, if this society is so willing to to throw away yeah. someone who is still vibrant and is still able to 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 help his society as oh, much yeah. as possible, that that maybe this is a society that deserves to go away. I mean, you know, Loxana says that at one point, like, you know, look, why are you bothering to fix the sun? You know, it's got. 40 years left that's its deadline you know why are you if you're right not gonna, you know they're the same thing really and he doesn't really have an answer for that the show doesn't really have an answer for that either and but i don't think that's a fault i think no that i think a, that's it's good because that yeah. is a you know you can see it on the you know uh, restoring the sun of course we have to do that but in this case you know this is different you know well no it's it's not and actually that's frankly a very fascinating way of tying these two little stories together in yeah. a way because you know they're they're thematically you know linked as well and all of that yeah yeah i there was i mean there was there was one moment and i don't even know where to put this in but 
I was noticing through most of the episode, you know, Oksana was not calling Troy little one through this, which was, you know, their argument at one point. And at one point, like right before she has that, you know, dying before you die, you know, conversation, you know, she does call her little one at one point and then immediately apologizes. And I loved that, you know, because it's it takes that, you know, that promise that she made, you know, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. It takes that seriously, too. And And she only does it when she's stressed and she's you know, recognizes that it bothers her still, you know? But I also think that that's a really interesting choice and perhaps that was, you know, this, this perhaps wasn't even intentional, but you know, if the point of the episode is that these people think that 60 is the end and and that's it. Right. And there's nothing else you can contribute or whatever. Uh, The fact of the matter is Lowox on a Troy is 60 or over 60 and she's able to learn and grow. Oh yeah. And so, you know, there's a little bit of a lesson there, I think for, for the, whatever they are. I don't think they ever give their species name, but no. And I mean, you know, that's interesting because we don't, we haven't taken Loaxan and Troy very seriously again because she's, you know, the, you know, her, she's Troy's mother. She's the horny old lady. She's the meddling mother-in-law. You know, we've only seen her as these old lady stereotypes. And this episode is saying, you know, I'm not just my age. I am a lot more than that. You know, right, right. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think, and I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a good week because I think that you know, you both were great. Yeah, you know, next generation. And again, this isn't, this is sorry, sorry, this is only a nominally sci-fi episode as well. In that, yeah, it has the you know, here's an alien custom, you know, sure, but for the most part, it's, it's about you know, people and death, and it's the sci-fi elements are trappings in a way. Well, and that's, I mean, you know, and I was going to say, I mean, yeah. you know, TNG has, has sort of gotten far afield from giving a lot of social commentary, but I think these two episodes do have a lot of social yeah. commentary to offer, and they remain relevant 25 years oh, later. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really does, I think it, it still shows you that they, they do take that sort of thing seriously in the franchise, and... You know, obviously that's something that the original series did more, but the original series also had a lot of, you know, pulp nonsense in it. Yeah. Uh, this show is, I think, a little more thoughtful than The Next Generation, but it's also a show which is being aired in a, in a, in a, in a in an environmental, in a cultural environment that is quite different from, you know, the, the 1960s. So yeah. I think it makes sense. And, and also, frankly, I think that, you know, this episode in particular was very timely because yeah. this was an issue at the oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's still an issue. Yeah, but this was when Kevorkian was very heavily in the news, yeah. Yeah, so I will give this one uh, seven resolutions. Really? I'm giving it nine resolutions. Okay. I really liked this season this week. All right. Well, I hope that you'd like next week as much because we are talking about the host and the mind's eye. Okay, those sound like fun episodes. So we'll talk to you then.